What's going on, Third Street? Ooh, that worship, man. I apologize if I can't make it through. I'm very full right now. We are in a new series called Silent Night. Mm, I apologize. God's been so good. Uh, Pray for me. Uh, There are moments in life where God feels silent, right? Where you feel like you're going through a drought. Where you feel like uh, your your, your day is your night and your night is your night. Mm. And hope feels far away. Strength feels far away, and peace feels far away. Mm. There's times in life where uh, there's a drought, and that drought's turned into a famine. And, and you don't know when the last time that you've seen what you've been looking for, what you've been searching for, what you've been seeking for, what you've been praying for, what you've been asking for, what you've been on your face for, what you've been on your knees for, Lord, Lord, Lord. I don't know if anybody else has been in a space in their life where things just don't seem to be going the way that you want them to go and you don't know what else to do. You feel like you've done everything that God has asked of you. Mm. This series is about that space. So for the four, for the next four weeks, we'll be looking at the life of the prophet Elijah and how God moved through him in one of the darkest periods of Israel's scriptural history. Ending in the silent night of a sleepy town when the savior of the world was born. Hope during a drought. Hope during a famine. Hope in what you heard. I find myself often asking myself this week, what does hope look like? What is hope? Mm. What does it look like to trust God? Hope in the Bible says to trust in, wait for, look for, or desire something. Or desire to desire him or to expect something beneficial in the future. And the drought is when the land suffers. The drought is when the body suffers. The drought is when you are suffering. Mm. One of the things that I noticed a lot about this message is I feel like God was telling Elijah that me and you are going to do this together. Um, so often in life, we have, we have our community, we have our body, we have our, we have our friends, we have our wives, we have our husbands that we lean on in times of struggle. But one thing that you'll learn about Elijah in this situation is it was just him and God. He didn't have another prophet to lean on. There was no other believer that was even walking, rocking with God at this point in time. They had all fell into following King Ahab and, 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 and rocking with Baal. And, 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 and Elijah was in a situation to where it was just him and the Lord. I think of the song where the, where the song says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he answered me. 
And that's why I trust him. So I want to I go through a little bit of the story with you, give you the backdrop. Bear with me today. Ooh. The choir took me there. They, they, took me to, they took me to the space that I needed to be. Amen. Oh, God is good. So um, in 1 Kings chapter 17, what we see is we see, we see Elijah go to King Ahab, and he essentially says, there will be no more dew. There will be no more rain. Until the Lord gives me the word and I give you the word, we are about to go through a drought. Elijah then listens to the Lord who tells him to go to a certain place to where there's going to be food provided and there's going to be water. He says there's going to be a stream. There's going to be a trench where I shall take you. So Elijah follows that and he goes to this place and there's water there. And the the Bible says that the ravens came day and night and they brought Elijah food. But what happens normally when you have a drought, for as long as these Hebrew men and women were in a drought, that drought eventually turned into a famine. And even the place that God had set forth for Elijah had dried out. Mm. Ah. I don't know if anybody here has been in a place where you've went somewhere that you know God has sent you, but now you're still in a drought, even though provision was there originally. So Elijah, he, he, he petitions the Lord and the Lord says, I'm going to send you to another place where there is a widow. And when you get to this widow, she'll take care of you. So he goes. And when he gets to this widow, he, he, he says first to her, can you go get me something to drink? Now, the thing about this widow is she was there to pick up sticks because she was going to go prepare her last meal for her and her child. She had planned that I'm going to go prepare with a little bit of flour and the little bit of oil that I have left. I'm going to prepare a meal for me and my child so that we may die. But even where she was, when the man of God came forth and said, can you get me something to drink? Without even hesitation, she went forth to get him something to drink. And when she came back, he said, now, can you get me some bread? Can you get me some cake? Can you get me a meal? Can you make me something to eat? So this is when she explains to him the thing that I just explained to you. I'm just out here to grab these sticks. I got a little bit of flour. I got a little bit of oil. This drought has 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 impacted me so much. This famine has impacted me and my family so much that we are about to just go ahead and have our last meal and die. And the man of God says, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go forth and get me the cake that I asked for. And then when you get that cake, I want you to go forth and make that meal that you had already had in your mind to do. But I promise you that flour that you got is not going it's not going to go empty. That oil that you got, it'll, it'll never run dry. As long as I am with you until the day that I say that rain and the dew is back, you shall eat and provide for your family. So she does so. And they live together in this space until eventually that boy that was with gets sick. That sickness turns into a death. And that woman, that widow, she comes to Elijah and she says, so what was this all about? Did you really put me through all of this just so that you can remind me of my sins, just so that you can make me feel like a bad person for the things that I had did before I knew you? So Elijah took the boy. He went upstairs with the boy. He laid the boy down. He put his nose where the boy's nose was. He put his hands where the boy's hands was. And the Bible says that he prayed to the Lord three times and he said, Lord, do not allow for this to be what happens to this boy. The Bible says that that boy came to life. He took that boy downstairs to the woman. And then we get into 1 Kings chapter 18. And this is where 
Elijah is told by the Lord, I need you to go back to King Ahab and tell him that I am about to bring back the dew and the rain. The thing about this is three years and six months has passed since the last time that he has talked to King Ahab, according to the book of James. Right. And what we have now is we have a famine. We have a drought that has turned into a famine. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about hope in the midst of a drought. Hope in the midst of a famine. And, 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 and in their sense, what they did not have is water. But I want you to take just two seconds and think to yourself, what is it that you have not had? What is it that you have not had for so long that it started as just a drought and now it's a famine? Now it's something that is, is, is destroying the land. Now it is something that is destroying relationships. When it first started, it just affected you. But now friendships have been broken. Now marriages have been broken. Now jobs have been broken. Now communities are in a struggle. What started as just a small issue but now has grown into something so much that hope is lost. What King Ahab and Jezebel has done at this point, they've just, they've destroyed any relationship. They destroyed the altars. They have, they have killed off the prophets. And one of the people that was rocking with the Lord is called Obadiah. Obadiah had, uh, he, he saved a hundred prophets by splitting them into two different caves and putting them 50 by 50. And he had went periodically to give them bread and water. So what the Bible says in first Kings chapter 18 is it, it says that Obadiah and, 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 uh, King Ahab were having a conversation and King Ahab said, we have to find water. If we find water, we'll find grass. And if we find grass, we'll be able to feed the horses and the mules to make sure that that, which we lit, like with the little bit that we do have, we don't have to kill that as well. So King Ahab and Obadiah, they go out and when they go out, King Ahab says, well, I'll go this way and look for water. You go this way and look for water. So when Obadiah is on his way, he runs into Elijah. Now, Elijah's a master prophet. He's a capital P prophet. This is one of the dudes that, that, that the Bible says that uh, King Ahab had went from country to country looking for. When they killed all of the prophets that were local, he was one of those prophets that they was like, ah, I'm, we'll just let him go. No, they went to country after country, after country, looking for him to make sure that he was dead. And then when they would get to these countries, they would threaten the people that were there. If you really hide in this dude and we find out, we're going to destroy you too. So when, when Obadiah sees Elijah, he's both excited and scared. Because his thought process is, I'm so excited to see you, but at the same time, I'm hoping that this doesn't lead to your death. But to his surprise, Elijah says to Obadiah, go get King Ahab. I'm trying to wrap this up so I can get to the word, but I want to make sure that we have a full understanding of where we are when we get to that word. So Obadiah is fearful. He says, if I go get him and I bring him back, he's going to kill you. If I go get him and I come back and you're not here, he's going to kill me. But Elijah, he, 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 he tells him, don't be afraid. I will be here. King Ahab comes back and then he gives him this, 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 uh, this, this deal. Meet me at Mount Carmel. When you meet me at Mount Carmel, I want you to bring the 450 prophets of Baal. I want you to bring the 400 prophets that, that Queen Jezebel is, is, is loving on. And what we're going to do is we're going to set up an altar. I'm going to let them pick both bulls. 
We're going to kill both bulls, cut them up. We're going to put them on the altar and we're going to figure out who is who and which Lord is Lord. So when he gets in front of God's people, he says that exact thing. Who is the Lord? If Baal be Lord, then let it be. But if God be Lord, let it be. Let's get to the word. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30. Right before this verse, what happens is the prophets of Baal, they go forth. Baal, please answer us. Baal, please answer us. They continue to say it over and over. Elijah says, what's wrong? What's going on? He can't hear you? They're jumping up and down on the altar. They're doing anything and everything they can to get the fire to come down on the altar, on the sacrifice. Elijah says, maybe y'all should talk a little louder. Maybe he's having a conversation with somebody else. Maybe he went to sleep. Maybe he's studying. Maybe he just can't hear you. Maybe you should cry a little bit louder. So they do so. They begin to cut themselves. They do everything they can to get a God to speak who cannot speak. Whew. They try everything they can try to get someone to bless them that cannot bless them. To get someone to answer who cannot answer. I hope that's not us today. And then Elijah gets his chance, and that's where we are in 1 Kings 18, chapter, uh, chapter 18, verse 30. I apologize for taking so long to get to the word. And Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Can I get to my first point? My first point for today is repair your worship. Yeah, let's go to let's go to the next one. Repair your worship. Repair your worship. Repair your worship. Repair your altar. Repair the place that was broken. Why is why is this place broken? Why why is this altar gone? Right? This would have been a place where an altar was already set up. And this is the crazy thing about it. The altar would have been destroyed because of sin. Mm. The fact that the altar is broken is the reason that there is a famine in the first place. The fact that the worship isn't present is the reason that the drought happened in the first place. It's been three and a half years. Just imagine, right? Just imagine you had a place that you created and built to be able to sacrifice unto the Lord. And this is the place that you have had forever. When things were good and when things were bad. But things weren't in a famine and things weren't in a drought. And the altar was present and it was upright and you sacrificed on it. But then it got to a place to where sin in your life became so prevalent that the altar became broken and it was knocked down. And you began to worship something else. I, everybody in here has been in that space and in that place to where where you used to worship God, you now worship something else. There is no one in here that has never worshipped something else besides God. But what happened in this situation is that worship became so prevalent in the Hebrews' lives that the altar of God was broken. And they went through three and a half years of a drought that turned into a famine and nobody ever rebuilt the altar. Nobody ever went back to the place where they worshiped the Lord. 
So my question for you today is, 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 is the site where God had used to be in your life, has that site turned into a place of broken worship? Is that the site of forgetting loyalty? Forgotten loyalty. Is that the, is that the site where, where you lost hope, where peace is just no longer present? Is that the site of a quenched vision, a broken altar? Is that the site of deserted worship? Me and Rev and, and Corey, we were having conversations uh, this week and the week before about worship. What does it look like? How do, how do we how do we how do we create a posture for our church to where we know that deep down inside when the word is going forth and when the words of the choir are going forth, that the people that are, that are hearing the voices of the Lord, hopefully and not the voices of us, are in worship. How do you know? I'm here to tell you that the altar is a necessity. Your worship to God, it's not something that is an option. There is no relationship that is heightened with God without worship. My, 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 my first point today is, is, is it, whatever you got to do, repair the altar. Repair the relationship. Put yourself back into a place where you're willing and ready to sacrifice. Because what we've been doing is we've been playing sacrifice. We've, we've been laying sacrifice on a broken altar. In, 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 in the Old Testament, what they would do is they would build the altar and then they would put the sacrifice on top of it. They would then create the fire, put the fire on top of the sacrifice, and then that scent would go up unto the Lord. And then that would be the scent that would make God pleased. In, in an Old Testament thought process, keep, keep, I know we got Jesus, so I ain't trying to take away from the Lord and sacrifice it. But we've been trying to steal sacrifice, right? And, and we've been laying our sacrifice on an altar that was broken because of our sin. And that sin that had broken that altar at no point in time of the famine and the drought that has messed up relationships, that has messed up marriages, that has messed up land, that has messed up community, that has had you in a mind that is broken, that has made you think back to trauma after trauma that has made you think that you're depressed that has made you think that you're going through each all of those things are happening and at no point in time are you trying to repair the altar so you're laying a sacrifice on stones that are broken you're laying a sacrifice on the ground that, that is dirty you're not laying a sacrifice on the thing that is holy that God is looking for which is Jesus Christ we cannot remain in sin. Can I say that two more times? Woo. I can, can I get personal? Can I get personal? You, you cool with that, babe? I've done everything I can to mess up my marriage. I've done everything humanly possible to make my wife leave me. Praise God that I have a wife that is putting sacrifices on an altar that is Praise God that I have a wife that, 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 that went back after me and seeing that my altar was broken. And yeah. 
So that when I come back to the altar, I don't have as much work to do. Some of us have been laying around and and being around and walking around people who see that your altar is broken and they're just kicking the stones that you already knocked over. When are we going to put ourselves in situations to where people see that you're laying a sacrifice on something that is. Let me help you build back up the altar that you have to God. Because what you're doing is waste of time. What you're doing is putting yourself back into situations where you continue to sin against God. There is no relationship. There is no relationship. When there is no worship that is sacrificed on the fact that I want to be better than I was yesterday. I'm not saying that we have to be better than we were yesterday, but the heart posture of wanting to be. The heart posture of working towards. We cannot continue to just live any type of way. And then lay any type of sacrifice on an altar to a God that is perfect. He said, this is the least that you could do. I gave you my son. Wanting to be like him is the least that you could do. The altar is a necessity. Somebody tore down the place where you were supposed to worship God and you have not rebuilt it. And this is why this is important. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. He took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob unto whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And then he made a trench about that altar. Can I get to my second point? It's time to dig it up. It's time to dig it up. That word trench, right there, that word trench. In the Hebrew, it means te'alaw. It's T-E-H-A-W-L-A-W for the people who are writing notes. T-E-H-A-W-L-A-W. The first meaning is to dig. It's a channel. One of the reasons that we don't feel comfortable digging in our lives is we feel like we'll leave a hole. We feel like we'll leave something that will leave void, empty. In the New Testament, it says what they did was they cleaned out the house and then they left it empty. They left it void. So what the spirits did, they came back with spirits that were more power than powerful and stronger than the spirits that were there before because you left it void and you left it empty. And the person was, was left off worse than they were in the first place. And God is saying, I'm not asking you to dig a hole and, and create this void space that is not going to be filled. This word right here, right? It literally means to dig a channel that is going to be filled. And it has two meanings. The second meaning literally means to be healed. God is asking you to dig up the things that are keeping you away from him. And he's promising you that if you dig those things up and you put him in the space that you will be filled. And with the altar that you have repaired and the, and, and, and the trench that you have digged, what he has happened right here is beautiful, right? Because what he does is he says, I will, I will, I will put the wood in order and cut the bullocks in pieces and lay them on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water during a drought. Fill four barrels with water during a famine. Who are, who are the people that are filling these barrels? The people who were worshiping Baal. Can I go there with you so early? 
soon as you rebuilt the altar, the people who are worshiping Baal are already on your side. Man, I wish I had some people in the, in the house that understood what I understood when I read that. I'm going to try to figure it out. Give me a second. Because I got to say it in a different way. I need a different response. I need some, I need some hand clapping. I need some, 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 some people on their feet. I need, I need people to understand what I'm saying. You're going to make me show you my baldness. He put the wood on the order, cut the bullocks in pieces. He laid them on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water. The same people who do not have water took the water that they do not have and they filled it because they want to see the Lord. I haven't seen the Lord in three and a half years, but as soon as you rebuilt the altar, all of a sudden now I believe that the little bit that I do have is going to be something that the Lord can, I'll give you everything I have once the altar is rebuilt. Once the relationship is back in right order, I forgot about the relationship. Is it okay to say that? Is it okay to say that I forgot about praying? I forgot about worshiping? My life got so busy in the midst of a famine and a drought, in the midst of a broken marriage, in the midst of a job I don't want to be at, in the midst of a church I'm trying to leave, in the midst of a community I want to move out of. I forgot to worship. I forgot to pray. I forgot that my relationship is broken. I forgot that my relationship in the altar is knocked down. I forgot to build it back up. But because you built it back up, I need somebody to understand that you rebuilding the altar will change the whole community's thought process towards the altar. Their whole thought process towards the famine. Their whole thought process towards the drought. You thought that you didn't have to raise your hands when we said raise your hands. But I'm telling you, if you would fall on your face in this place, how many other people would be impacted fill four barrels with water pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood and he said do it a second time that's four more barrels of water they don't have of time I don't have, of peace I don't have, of joy I don't have, that I've been searching for. Three and a half years I've been without it, but I'll pour out every bit of it if I have to. Every inch and ounce of what I do not have for the hope that what you see in the Lord I don't see it. If I would have seen what you've seen, I would have built the altar a long time ago. But I just believe in what you say. I just believe in the passion that you have. I just believe in the words that you read. I want the Lord just as much as you want the Lord. And because you said that I can actually walk. Do you think the people that we see in this community want to be worshiping Baal? Do you think that they want to be drug dealers, that they want to be broke, that they want to be from house to house, that they want to be homeless? No, they want to believe in the Lord that you believe in. If we would just repair the altar, if we would just dig up some of the things that are in our lives that are keeping us away from worshiping the way. How do I get the church to worship the way I want them to worship? By my worship. How would I get the church to love the Lord the way that I love the Lord? By loving the Lord. I don't need to petition you to do anything. Just watch me do it. And the water ran around the altar and he filled the trench also with water. The same thing that was dug up that was left empty is now filled because of not what Elijah did, but because of what the Hebrew people did because Elijah repaired the altar. Hmm. 
Woo, we in this together, y'all. There's a connection between the altar and the dig. It's a, it's a connection between, between the altar and the trench. There's a connection between what you have created and what God is about to send from the heavens. And it came to pass at the time of the offerings of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that art that thou art God in Israel. I apologize, this King James. This King James was good to me throughout the week, so I was like, I'm going to read that King James. But them, them arts and those thou's and those thighs, they take your breath away after a while. I don't even remember where I was at. Let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want to read that part right there. He didn't say, Lord, please turn their hearts back again. He said, I want you to bring down the fire so that they can see that their hearts have already been turned back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And what happened to the people? When all the people saw, they fell on their faces. I can't tell you any clearer that when you rebuild the altar and you dig up, other people are going to fall on their faces. And they said, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God. A week later, a week earlier, they were saying Baal was God. A month earlier, they were praying to Baal for water. Three years prior, they were praying to Baal. But on this day, when the altar was rebuilt, when the trench was dug up, when water had fueled it back up, when healing had taken place, when relationships had been mended. The first thing that happens when the God that we serve sends down something from heaven is every man and every woman fell on their faces and began to worship God. And they didn't just worship him in spirit, but their mouths actually opened and they said, he is God, the Lord, he is the God. So I don't want to really hear nobody tell me that if you have an actual experience with the Lord, that it don't have to be all that. What happened when they crossed the the waters on dry ground? And then they turned around and, and, and the sea had went back down and it crushed all the chariots. Soon as she got to the other side, the first thing she did was praise God. She created a song of worship. Sometimes it do. Can I say it that way? Sometimes, sometimes it take all that. Sometimes it takes running around the church. Sometimes it takes falling on your face. Sometimes it takes screaming out. I'm not saying that everybody is going to have this posture. But what I am saying is there are certain experiences where fire comes down from heaven and things change and situations change and altars have been rebuilt and relationships have been mended and marriages have been saved. And it's it's certain things that happens when you just got to cry out to the Lord. I want, I want, I desire that worship for you. 
I worship when you can't explain what you're doing. You can't explain why your feet are moving. You can't explain why your hands are moving. All you know is the Lord is good. When you can't say words, so all you can do is give the Ric Flair, woo! Because God is good. And you would think, you would think, you would think that this would be, this would be, this, is, this would be the triumphant moment for Elijah. That we would just, we would just take our hats off to this situation. We would praise the Lord and Elijah would be good. But you will find out for the next four weeks that is not what happened. But they took them. I don't want to read that part. But they took them, talking about the prophets of Baal. They took them down and they did some things to them. And Elijah said unto Ahab, get thee up and eat and drink. Now, remember, just a couple verses ago, Obadiah was scared to even bring Ahab into Elijah's presence. But that which was his enemy a couple of verses ago, when he rebuilt the altar, when he dig up the trenches, when the trenches were filled, when things were healed, now he telling Ahab the king what to do. Go eat. Go drink. For there is a sound Woo of abundance. I want to stay there for a second. I want to stay on the sound of abundance. In Hebrew, it's kol. K-O-L-E. K-O-L-E. In Hebrew, it's K-O-L-E. I'm going to write it. I'm going to say it one more time for those who are writing it down. In Hebrew, it's K-O-L-E. It says there's a sound. In the Genesis chapter 3, they use the exact same words when they say, and they heard the voice of the Lord. God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, they said it was a sound. But in, in, in Genesis, he said, I heard the voice of the Lord. So, so let, me, let me do the KT translation. He said, get up and eat. For I heard the Lord's voice. And he told me abundance is on its way. This is the craziest thing about the whole thing. They already worshiped. They've already cried out. He's already heard the sound of abundance. But they're still in a famine. They're still in a drought. Life ain't got better. Relationships ain't got better. Joy ain't present. Peace ain't present. But I'm still worshiping. Woo! I'm still excited. I'm still crying out. Even though I haven't seen rain yet. I'll knock this whole thing off this thing. Y'all can't go there with me. How to worship in the midst of a drought. How to be on your knees in the midst of a drought. How to be excited and have, have all that you want when you have nothing that you need. He said, I heard the voice of the Lord and he said, abundance is coming. And then the dude that was with him, who I believe and other people believe was actually the son of the widow, went to the top of the mountain and looked over and he said, I don't see no rain. I know you heard the sound of abundance, but I don't see a cloud. And this is where we struggle because I heard the sound of God say that this is my husband. 
I heard the sound of God say that that's the school that I'm supposed to go to. I heard the sound of God say that's my church. I heard the sound of God say this is the community I belong to, but I don't see. I don't see the same thing that I heard. So let me leave. Let me stop. Let me forget. Let me disagree. Maybe I didn't hear from the Lord. Maybe peace ain't coming. Maybe joy is not on his way. Maybe his grace does not abound. Maybe mercy is not for me. Maybe salvation is not mine. But he said, look here, keep going up there. I want you to go over and over again because I know what I heard. This is the crazy thing about it. Some of us have have had a stand-up experience where fire has came down. But the Bible talks about what posture he was in waiting for the rain. Fire came down when he was in a standing position. But the drought ended when he was in a birthing position. He was on his knees for this prayer. With his head in between his knees. He was laid out for this blessing. Sometimes it takes a little bit more than just standing up for God. Sometimes you got to get down into a posture where you know something is about to be birthed out of this prayer. Something is about to be birthed out of this worship. Something is going to change this time. I promise you, I'm going to listen back to this because this is good. You can be the same one who called down fire and still be waiting for rain. Just come on, man. If CJ stand up right now and be like, Lord, bring down fire and fire, just tear up everything that Rev got up here. Think about the next thing CJ going to be doing. We're going to be like, all right, it's time to pray. CJ going to be like, come here. I'm laying hands on everybody. Be healed in the name. I just brought down fire, fam. That's how me, that's how me and the Lord roll. Who else want a healing? <laughs> I can't remember what, what movie that was. You want a healing? You want a healing? You want a healing? The same person who said, Lord, let them see that they have turned their hearts around and bring down fire. Fire come down. Now I'm destroying all the prophets that made us sit in this drought for this whole season and I'm, I, I, I'm this Elijah and now I, I hear your voice and I know that rain is supposed to be coming but there's no clouds. It's not what you call down on your feet. It's what you wait for on your knees. I don't care what y'all say. That was good right there. It's not what You've stood up for, for the Lord. It's that space and that place and that posture where, Lord, I I don't care who sees me. I'll climb the highest mountain. I'll go to the highest mountain. I'll go to Mount Carmel and I'll fall on my knees. And I won't be pride and proudful because you gave me the title of pastor. I won't be pride and proudful because I've been good in this area or that area. Lord, I'll put my face in between my knees and I will cry out and ask that you give me that which I know I heard. It's what you believe on your knees in prayer that stops the drought. Will you worship him in spirit and in truth?
There's a reason why Elijah was capable of hearing the Lord, not seeing the rain, and continuing on. And I'm going to leave you with this bit of hope. you got to remember all the other times that he showed you that he was God, even when you don't see it right now. Because I'm the same person that you told to tell them that there was no rain coming. But then you took me to another place and you gave me water when nobody was getting it. You brought ravens that were going. The, 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 the theologians believe that the ravens were going to the king's tables, taking their food and bringing it to Elijah. You were you were taking food from the king's tables to feed me. Then you took me to a widow. She was about to die from famine. She had already had in her mind that this is the last meal. But you let flour continue to go. You let oil continue to flow. That oil is, is, is a representation and symbolic of anointing. You let the anointing continue to go. Even when they thought that the anointing was running out. Then you put me in a place where my enemies are now listening to my voice. So even though I don't see the clouds yet, I'm still standing on all of the other miracles that you have given me. Stand on what God has done. And use that as the reason why the altar is being rebuilt, that the dig is being uh, dug up, that the trench is being filled, that healing is taking place, that we are walking in the, in, in, in the words of the Lord and doing the things that he has asked of us.